Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to episode 64 of All About Fitness. On this episode, I'm doing a quick fit tip discussing research. But first, I want to answer a quick email question from a listener by the name of Carl in Massachusetts. I'm not going to read the entire email, but he asks about how long should somebody hold a plank? He heard from, from a friend of his, <laughs> obviously, that's, I'll discuss that in a few minutes in the research section, but he heard a friend of his, we can hold planks for upwards of three minutes. Well, my immediate reaction to this is, what type of plank are you holding? And as with any answer, a big, that depends. First, as Dan John and I discussed on episode 30 of All About Fitness, holding a high plank can be preferable to being in a plank on your elbows. When you're in a high plank on your hands, which is basically the up position of a push-up, or for you yogis out there, it's basically a yoga plank. I forget what they call that in, in technical yoga ease. But when you're in a high plank in a push-up position, you're pushing your hands into the ground. Your hands and wrists will automatically activate stabilizers in your shoulders. So if you're in a high plank position, one key trick is to push your hands into the ground and screw your hands. You want to screw your hands into the ground, like your right hand turning right and your left hand turning left. At the same time, you push your back up towards the ceiling. So what you're trying to do is create tension. You're trying to lengthen the distance between your hands and your shoulders by pushing the hands down and your back up. While you do that, you want to keep your hips and shoulders at the same height. You want to keep them level so your spine is straight and push your toes into the ground like you're doing the calf raise. Now notice, I'm not telling you to contract the core. By pushing your hands into the ground, by pushing your toes into the ground, and if you want to squeeze anything, squeeze your glutes and thighs, but by pushing your hands and toes into the ground, you're automatically triggering reflex in your body, which is going to stabilize your deep, your deep core stabilizers, are going to activate, sorry, activate your deep core stabilizers. So the question to answer Carl, if you're holding a plank, my preference would be, just based on my experience, my preference would be holding a high plank like you're holding in a push-up position. Once you can hold it for 45 to 60 seconds solid, and trust me, you're going to shake a little bit at first, once you can hold it for 45 to 60 sec seconds solid, that's where you start with little variations, like lifting one hand up, like taking your right hand and tapping your left shoulder and alternating left hand to right shoulder, or picking up each foot and just pointing the foot. But the trick is when you're picking up your foot, you want to extend the hip. And no matter which variation you try, you want to make sure you keep your hips and shoulders at the same height. So a good plank doesn't need to be held for three minutes. 45 to 60 seconds is enough to, to get the type 1 muscle fibers working the stabilization, working all the stability muscles, stabilization muscles around the spine. Then after that, you want to be able to add some variation where you challenge the stability. So thanks for writing in, Carl. And on all these quick, on these quick fit tips in the future, I do want to be answering questions from readers. So you can either tweet, uh, tweet me a question at PeteMC underscore fitness, and that's on the Twitter, or you can email me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com, and I'll answer your question on the air. I'll pick one, one question per quick fit tip. So anyway, on today's quick fit tip about research, because this is a big chicken and the egg of the fitness industry, right? Because anybody, any gym you go to, no matter how long you've been going to a gym, there's always those old school guys in the gym. And there's this big push and pull. And the reason why I say it's a chicken and the egg, because when it comes to research, that we don't know which came first. The chicken, meaning the researcher studying something, or the egg, meaning anecdotal gym experience. Because we've, you know, people that have been trained in the gym for years learn through trial and error. They find out what works. You know, they try a little program for a while, they hear something, and they try what works. And then researchers in their lab coats and in, in their research labs 
we'll sit there and study something and try to figure out why it works. Let's say CrossFit, for example. CrossFit blew up on the scene about eight or nine years ago. It was introduced in the early 2000s by Greg Glassman. And basically, CrossFit just high-intensity, you know, multivariable interval training. Yeah, multivariable interval training. I mean, what you're doing is you're going from barbell to kettlebell to medicine ball to body weight, and you're challenging your body to work at a relatively high intensity for short periods of time. Anybody who really understands fitness understands that that's going to activate the type 2 muscle fibers and understands that's going to activate an anabolic response within the hormonal system. So people were doing CrossFit and seeing tremendous results, and then you had to have researchers come along and try to understand and justify, well, here's why CrossFit works. Here's why I think it works. You know, so, and it's not trying to dispute it, but there's trying to understand why it works. You know, we can take bodybuilding as another example. People know, bodybuilders have been training for years, know that one of the best ways to, to add size or to work on definition is doing drop sets. Because when you drop set, when you go from like, you start a weight, you do as many times as you can. Then once you can't do it anymore, you drop the weight and you keep going into absolute fatigue. Now, anybody that's ever done that, now, you know that A, that's not comfortable, and B, you can barely move whatever body part you're working because you're so fatigued. Researchers come along and they try to understand. Bodybuilders have known for years that drop sets work. But researchers come along and try to understand, okay, why? What's the mechanism? You know, why, what exactly is happening with a drop set, for example? You know, are you creating a metabolic overload, meaning you're depleting the muscle glycogen? Once you deplete a muscle glycogen, it's not capable of contracting anymore. It's going to fatigue. It runs out of ATP. That's when the muscle seizes up and almost cramps at the, end of a, at the end of a set. You know, that's metabolic overload. Or is it mechanical overload? Mechanical overload is the actual stimulus on the actin myosin, the, the actual myofilament of the protein, muscle protein fiber. You know, what's, what's, what's responsible for growth? You know, according to Brad Schoenfeld, who wrote a book on hypertrophy, so I think he kind of, and he does PhD research on it, and hypertrophy is a technical term for muscle growth. You know, when I interviewed him for an article a couple years ago, he said they weren't sure. Researchers weren't sure which was more important for muscle growth, metabolic overload or mechanical overload, because they both happen at the same time. You can't isolate one. So my point is that research can give us an idea of what's happening, but in by no way, shape, or form is the end-all, be-all solution. Because here's a real secret about research, folks. When you look at many research groups, there's a very small population that they do the research on, like this Tabata interval craze. This Tabata interval was started by a guy named Dr. Izumi Tabata, a Japanese exercise physiologist. He published his research in 1996. If you published it in 96, he probably did it a year earlier. And I forget of what he was doing his, his research on speed skaters, and I can't remember the size of his population. It was either six or eight. <laughs> it was only a few speed skaters. And what he found was an incredibly high intensity of 173% VO2 max, if memory serves, an incredibly high intensity effect for short periods of time, 20 seconds of work followed by 10 seconds of rest, repeated eight times. That becomes a four-minute Tabata interval. But he found that in his small research group, again, six or eight people, in his small research group had tremendous, you know, had tremendous response do that high-intensity training. It worked for six or eight people, folks. That doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. And in a research lab, with the appropriate equipment, they're using ergometers. And on an ergometer, the harder you work, the more resistance you have. In their research lab, they're using ergometers. They're working at 170% of their VO2 max. Now, you or I would almost pass out if we try to push that. These were highly trained athletes. You know, based on Tabata's research, you know, we've had this whole Tabata interval craze for the past number of years. You know, short, high-intensity intervals with short recovery periods. 
Now, his whole, his whole research is based on doing one four-minute set. Doesn't mean you need to do a 40-minute class of repeated Tabata intervals. That, that could be a tremendous amount of overload. So the point is, anytime you hear about research or anytime you hear about a trick in the gym, try to find out what the source of it is. And this also goes true with those Instagram people and YouTube people. And I'm not putting any of them down, but understand what is their source. Is it anecdotal gym experience? There's nothing wrong with anecdotal gym experience because some gyms, Louis Simmons Gym, Westside Barbell Club in Columbus, Ohio, they produce a number of national champion powerlifters. Those guys know by experience what works. Just because it isn't some researcher in a lab code doesn't mean it's not going to work. Those guys know what works. Going to Gold's Gym in Venice Beach. I'll bet you ask a few guys there. Those you know, bodybuilders have been training at Gold's in Venice for 10, 15 years, earn their pro card, probably have a pretty good idea of what works. You know, but also if you read research, if you understand research, look at the population size. And here's the other thing about research, folks. A lot of times it's done on college students. Because where's the research done? It's done at colleges. <laughs> where's the population of people available for studies? Well, guess what? They got students. So just because, you know, when you look at research, research is going to tell you that this is what we observe based on these variables for a finite period of time. It'd be six weeks, eight weeks, whatever. That's just giving you a snapshot of how the body responds. But we don't know how the body's going to respond until we put it into play for ourselves. And guess what, folks? Every, each, each one of us is different. We could all be doing the same workout and have slightly different response. Because just because the workout is the same, the workout might be one hour. We got 23 other hours in the day. There are 168 hours in the week. What really matters is what you do after the workout, your recovery. I hammer this all the time with guests. I talk about guests all the time about what the recovery strategies are. Because the time in the gym is only part of the equation. What we do after the workout is really key and really critical for seeing results. What's your hydration strategy? What's your nutrition strategy? What's your sleep? Because if you're not eating properly, if you're not hydrating, if you're not getting the right sleep, your time in the gym isn't that effective. So to wrap it up today on this quick fit tip, I was talking about research. Understand that just because someone's jacked out or someone has a you know, skinny body and looks great doesn't mean they know exactly what they're talking about. Always listen to anything, whether it's anecdotal experience or research. It could be a great validated study, but understand it with a grain of salt. It may not work for everybody. You need to find out what works for you. The most important thing for your fitness program is what you feel comfortable doing and what you enjoy doing. Because I tell you this, the best exercise in the world, the absolute best exercise in the world, the best workout program in the world, is the one that you enjoy, the one that you like doing, the one that you look forward to, the one that you find pleasure of. Because we don't have much time in the day, folks. We have to enjoy what we're doing. And no one's good exercise and be miserable. Yeah, you can push yourself hard and be challenged. That's fine. I want you to be challenged. Our job as trainers is to challenge you and make you uncomfortable. But you should have fun. You should relish that challenge. You should enjoy that challenge. So with that, quick fit tip is with research. Understand any tip you hear in the gym and ask about it. Is it research-based or is it anecdotal evidence? Either way, it really, you know, it doesn't really matter. What you have to find is what works for you. Take all the information out there. Even my podcast, take it with a grain of salt. Because sometimes I'm, you know, I'm going to disagree with my guests or my guests are going to disagree with me. We have different points of view. And that's the thing about research is we can look at it, we can see, read something, and then we can try to understand it and how it applies to you. So that's the cool thing. As long as we agree on the basic principles, and every guest I've ever had, we always agree on the basic principles, but sometimes we disagree on how to apply them. And that's the big, you know, that, that there's no big difference there. 
So anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. I answered uh, the question from my listener, Carl, in Massachusetts. Thanks for writing in. If you have any questions, feel free to email them to me, Pete, at Pete McCall Fitness. You can follow me on the Twitter at Pete, Pete MC underscore fitness. That's Twitter, Pete MC underscore fitness. And Instagram is Pete McCall, M-C-C-A-L-L underscore fitness. And you can check out my blog at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Thanks for stopping in. Have a happy and healthy day.